0: This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan,
1: where everyone
0: is welcome to the table.
1: Words of Integration and Guidance by Daniel Beringen. A most vexing question, which seems to evade sound solution to this day, is how much truth do we owe them? Them being the authorities and courts and jails, our adversaries and sentencers and disposers, those who arrest us in the course of the peaceable struggle and presumably execute justice on us. A more profitable way of putting the question might be, how much truth do we owe ourselves and each other? We owe the truth a debt. We owe our humanity to others even to the inhuman. Perhaps the debt is largest and least often paid in that direction. If not we, who? The question came home to me vividly in a cell in a Washington, D.C. jail whence we had been posted after an anti-nuclear demonstration. We put the question this way. What should be our attitude toward the authority that constantly deceives us, conceals its intent, raises the ante on human survival, wastes the earth, jails those who resist? My brother Philip said simply, I think we are their own hope. A reading of scripture from Psalm 81, as rendered by Nan Merrill. Sing in unison to the Most High, our strength. Shout for joy and join the celebration. Raise a song, sound the great bells, the flute, and the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon and all the feast days. Sing in gratitude to the great hunter, to the one who seeks out all hearts. Do thanks in the congregations that the good news may be heard throughout the land. I hear a voice I have come to know. I will relieve you of your burden. Your spirit is free to create. In distress, when you call, I come to you. I answer you in the secret place of your heart. I invite you to the grace of forgiveness. Hear, O my people, while I caution you. Oh, dear friends, if you would but listen. Do not make of riches and ambition a powerful God. Do not become puffed up with pride and arrogance. I am your very breath. I have been with you from the beginning. Open your heart wide, and I shall feel it. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Thank you, God.
0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark 2, 23-28. One Sabbath he was going, that is Jesus, through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath. Was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. For the Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Tradition is a powerful thing, a powerful force, and it doesn't take sometimes very much for something to become a tradition, right? You may do something fun sometime with your family or with friends, and people have a good time, and they remember it fondly, or they're deeply impacted, and it's like, we need to do that again. And then after you do it twice, it becomes a tradition. Right? You know what I mean? And so we have, uh, we have kind of personal traditions, family traditions, friend traditions. We also have religious traditions and societal and national traditions. I found a few interesting ones uh, this week. Uh, one is called Polterabend. And this is a German pre-wedding tradition in which family and friends get together and break a bunch of dishes. And then the bride and groom-to-be are to clean them up. <laughs> And so they get to practice working together in difficult times, right? This may happen at some point, so now you'll be prepared. Another one I found was throwing the baby for good luck in India. And this ritual's uh, mostly followed in a place called Karnataka, where newborn babies are thrown off a 50-foot-high temple but then they're caught, thankfully, in a cloth by the family. And uh, it, the tradition is, if you go to this particular temple, the Sri Santaswar temple, uh, and pray to become uh, with child, and you have a child, then you participate in this tradition. And it's believed to bring good luck to the child. <laughs> it's a real thing, I saw some photos it was, good luck, baby I, it, it just, I, I, feel, I don't feel well even thinking about it uh, and uh, a third one I found another pre-wedding uh, tradition and this one happens in Scotland where the bride-to-be is taken around by friends and they throw all kinds of stuff on her like spoiled milk and rotten eggs and banana peels and gross stuff. And it's called Blackening the Bride. Unfortunate term. Perhaps they can rebrand that. Uh, but they they do this to her and then they take her around town. And sometimes it on like the back of a flatbed truck and others, passersby can even join in. And again, um it's supposedly a metaphor for the challenges she'll face in married life. You know, some, some people just have a really negative idea of marriage, I guess. You know, it's, Congratulations, you're getting married. It's really going to suck. From the bottom of our hearts. You know. So, you know, there's some traditions that maybe you didn't know about. Well, the Sabbath is a tradition that shows up in our text today. And if we want to talk about a tradition with some roots, and a tradition that goes back a long ways, this tradition, of course, goes all the way back, in the Jewish tradition, to the beginning of creation. Right? Because God creates the world, as Genesis tells us, in six days. On the seventh day, God rests. On the seventh day, God rests. And then later, God instructs the people to remember the Sabbath. Six days you shall do all your work, and on the seventh, neither you nor your animals shall do any work. So here we have a tradition that is understandably very important. Well, I guess God did it, so now we have to do it too, right? And if God wrote with God's own finger in stone... Yeah, that's a tradition you might think about observing. And so the Sabbath has a rich and storied history. And in the invitation to to uh, remember the Sabbath, it's, um, the time to begin observing the Sabbath is called Bain Hashem Esho. It's my poor attempt at some Hebrew. Bain Hashem hasho, which means literally between the suns or the time when one day ends and the next day begins. And in the Jewish reckoning of time, the day begins not in the morning like we think of it, but in the evening. As Genesis in the creation story says there was evening and there was morning the first day. And because of that, a day is seen to begin in the evening, not in the morning. And so Sabbath observance begins Friday evening between the suns. And just to be sure, all the time was covered, Friday observance begins before sunset. Saturday, we end the Sabbath, or they end the Sabbath, after nightfall. So just a little extra time to make sure we don't miss any of the Sabbath observance. And so the Sabbath is an incredibly important tradition. And what the Sabbath is not is simply a day off. I mean, it is that, but it's not just that. If you saw it as only that, you might be missing some of what the Sabbath is trying to say. Because the Sabbath, in the Jewish understanding, is a recognition that the world that God created is perfect. In other words, God worked for six days to create, to fashion, to bring all into being. And when it was all complete, then God rested. And so the idea is that, well, it's less perfect now, as we humans have come along and done some things that have disrupted uh, how things are meant to be. And so the idea is that for six days we are to strive with God to restore the world to its place of perfection, to repair what's broken, to mend what is off. And then on the seventh day we rest, recognizing that the world as God made it is perfect, even if we're not quite there yet. And so the Sabbath is to be seen as sort of a mini-preview of the day when all is as God intended it to be. And so Sabbath is a beautiful and needed practice, and I think it's something we need more than ever in our day and in our culture, which prioritizes working and working and working. And the idea of rest, I think, is very needed for human persons and human flourishing. And it's also a a reminder that the world doesn't depend on us. And so it is this invitation to rest and this preview of the world one day being as God intends it to be. But I think where we can get into trouble is where we turn an invitation into legislation. An invitation into legislation. When we take something that we're invited to for our well-being and for the good of ourselves and the good of those around us and the good of the earth, and then we mandate it and draw up a bunch of rules about what happens if you don't do it. And then uh, we set ourselves up for trouble and perhaps find ourselves in danger of missing the point. But in defense of the Pharisees and the Jewish practice at the time, again, it was something God inscribed in stone for something for them to observe and obey. And so it's understandable that there was a high consciousness that we don't screw this up. But Jesus comes along and says, have we taken it too far? And so in our text, as we read, Jesus is going through some fields with his disciples, and they take some grain. And so Jesus is saying, when people are hungry, God's world is not perfect. God's world is not as it should be. Shalom is not present. And so we may have this practice in which we see God's world as perfect, but are we creating an illusion when there are injustices all around us? And so the Pharisees say, hey, look, why are you guys doing what isn't lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus, in classic style, says well, have you never read what David and his companions did? Of course, he's speaking to religious experts, right? So you can just hear the sar- almost the sarcasm of Jesus, right? Well, have you never read? Well, of course they've read. They've got it probably memorized. They know exactly what David did in 1 Samuel 21. And Jesus says, they were hungry and in need of food. And they went into this area and took some of the consecrated bread. That was only for priests. And what Jesus introduces to the story, which isn't in the text in 1 Samuel 21, is the word hungry. Jesus says, they were hungry. And in need of food. And then he introduces the word bread. And so suddenly, when Jesus is talking about hunger, and in need of food, and in bread, and of bread, I think suddenly he's expanding the conversation beyond this scene of just he and his disciples. Suddenly, larger things come to mind, like the food economy. Oppressive tithes, which particularly hurt the poor. The production, consumption, and distribution of produce and food in rural Palestine. Jesus and his disciples are saying, If there are those who are not hungry... Then perhaps our religious laws would prevent them from being fed when they could be fed, need to be rethought. And by grabbing that grain, uh, they're doing something especially that's seen as not to do on the Sabbath, and that is altering God's creation. And so by removing and plucking the heads of the grain, that's seen as altering creation. That is a big no-no on the Sabbath, and I think they're doing that very intentionally, not just because they're hungry. But I think they're also, you might say, staging a protest of civil disobedience. Jesus is well aware that there are rules in place, but that sometimes the rules don't reflect the justice that God desires. Susan Brownell Anthony, or Susan B. Anthony as we may know her by, was an American social reformer and feminist who played a pivotal role in the women's suffrage movement, and when she first began campaigning for women's rights, she was harshly ridiculed and accused of trying to destroy marriage as an institution. So that argument's been around for a long time, right? But you're destroying marriage! something we may have heard in more recent times as well. Well, in 1866, uh, she and her friend Elizabeth Cady Stanton initiated the American Equal Rights Association, which campaigned for equal rights for both women and for African Americans. And in 1872, she was arrested for voting in her hometown in Rochester, New York. The law said only men can vote. And she went in and said, I'm a human being, I'm a citizen of this nation, and I am going to vote. And she was arrested and in a a widely publicized trial convicted of breaking the law. And then some years later, she and Stanton arranged for Congress to be presented with an amendment which would give women the right to vote. And 42 years later, finally in 1920, Congress passed the 19th Amendment allowing women the right to vote. So sometimes we like to think of our nation as the greatest in the world or the best the world has ever known, but we haven't even let women vote for 100 years. But I love that the law said, you can't vote. And she said, no, I'm going to do it, even though it's illegal. And I'm going to be arrested. And so I think the invitation for us, as we think about her life, as we think about Jesus and the disciples, is to think about what are laws, what are rules, what are traditions that may be obstructing justice? What are they? And am I courageous, like Susan B. Anthony, or many people in the African-American civil rights movement, or Jesus and his disciples, or Gandhi, to do something about it. We might think of immigration, and it might be legal to put undocumented children in cages, but it certainly is not just. It might be legal to... Imprison a disproportionate number of African Americans because of marijuana laws and other reasons. But it is not just. It may be legal for our nation to have nuclear weapons which could wipe out the entire earth, but it is not just. And it's even less just when we think we can tell the rest of the world who can have it and who cannot. And it may be legal for the wealthy to find tax loopholes which get them out of paying taxes that the poor absolutely have to pay, but it is not just. And it might be legal in some places to discriminate against people for a job or a place to work based on their gender identity or their sexual orientation, but it is not just. And Jesus said sometimes we have to break the rules so that others... Can break bread. Now the truth is we can't go, go, go all the time. And we need Sabbath. We need rest. We have to balance our action in the world, even our actions for justice, with periods of contemplation and rest and renewal. We absolutely need that. But we also need the passion of Jesus, who said when there are people who are hungry and don't have enough to eat, when there are people who are not included, when there are systems of oppression that exist in the world, I cannot rest. And if there are rules in the way, watch out. I'm coming. I think we need that spirit of Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Namaste. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.